The CFB Winning Edge podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Join us at patreon.com slash Edge. Your support helps us keep the podcast ad-free and helps us fund our research projects and database management. Thanks to longtime support from folks like Blake and Bruce, our 2020 FBS team profiles will be fully updated and available to our Tier 2 and Tier 3 patrons on March 1st. That's two months earlier than our 2019 profiles, and also includes new and improved and expanded features. Visit patreon.com slash Edge for details. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the CFB Winning Edge podcast. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. You can follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. And of course, I am joined by Nicholas Ian Allen, owner and proprietor of College Football Winning Edge. You can find him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge. And Xavier Trish, you can uh, find him on the Twitter at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. Fellas, how was your weekend? What's going on, Nick? You know, it's it's uh, things finally seem to be settling down a little bit. I feel like even though... The seasons ended what six weeks ago or, or whatever it was that there had been news, you know, coming fast and furious, and uh, now we're just sort of waiting a little bit, waiting for spring practice to start a lot of places, waiting for Colorado to hire a head coach. So uh, yes, it's it finally slowing down a little bit, which uh, is nice. And Xavier, we found out it's not going to be. Uh, Eric Bieniemy. I mean, it it seemed right. like I know they contacted him. It's exactly what we talked about last week. Like Nick said, you have to at least make the offer. Uh, right. But looks like he's going to wind up turning them down. Yeah, I mean, I I, I thought it was going to be a stretch for him to want to leave the NFL uh, to go back to his alma mater. But you know, like Nick said, you had to make him say no. Um, there was a little pondering there from him, but ultimately he decided to stay where he may win a second uh, Super Bowl in, in the, as many years, so I can't blame him. Yeah, and today we're actually going to be talking about the Big 12 and uh, taking a look back at the standings and then what we have so far on the rosters and team strength and things of that nature. But, uh, Nick, who who is going to be the coach of the Buffs, do you think? Because I think they've n- narrowed it down here, and they're planning to make a hire in the next day or so, right? That was the last thing I saw, Football Scoop, which is a, a site that's for a long time been sort of the industry leader in coaching news and, and just sort of keeping uh, you know, a, a finger on the pulse, so to speak, of moves. Uh, they reported earlier today, Wednesday, that uh, seems like it might be down to either Troy Calhoun, the Air Force head coach, or Brett Bielema, former Arkansas and uh, Wisconsin head coach currently, I believe, on the staff of the New York Giants, spent last year with the Patriots. Uh, but yeah, sound, sounds like those are the two guys, which uh, not necessarily either of them the sexiest of names, but you know, both have head coaching experience, both uh, have proven capable of winning. Um, so, you know, could, could do worse, I think if you're Colorado, but, uh, certainly not the home run that Eric B would have been if, if, uh, he were somehow to, uh, be swayed to, to come back to Boulder, but, uh, you know, two decent candidates, but neither necessarily, uh, a, a home run hire probably. And Xavier, if you had to pick between those two, who would you take? Okay. Weird. An article <laughs> just came out 19 minutes ago. Uh, from a Denver news station saying that Bienemy is still a strong candidate. Ah, uh, see, uh, uh, so I don't buy it. I don't. I buy take Bienemy. 
Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, if I had to take one or the other between Calhoun or Bielema, I think I'd take Calhoun. Um, he's somebody who I think this is a great move for him, um, being at Air Force for so long. I think that it's a not a lateral move. It'll be an increase. And I think that he's somebody who could, you know, has been in the region for a very long time and recruits the region fairly well at Air Force, you know, with the resources he'd, he'd have at Colorado. I think he'd be able to, uh, you know, take Colorado to heights that, you know, they've seen before. Um, I think Bielema's a good name. I just don't know how well he'd do um, in, in in a region that he isn't as familiar with. So, yeah. It's- one thing that, Go on ahead, that man. note, uh, Xavier, that, that's interesting is Air Force recruits nationally, which mm-hmm. in in some ways you think, well, would, would Colorado necessarily be able to do that? But then you think, okay, that's also probably a, a pretty nice benefit. I mean, he, he has connections to uh, some of the, the you know big-time talent spots where Colorado wants to you know either continue – uh, to recruit or perhaps open some new doors. I know Air Force has recruited a lot of players from Georgia. They've had several quarterbacks over the years from Georgia, and, and uh, you know they recruit Texas, they recruit California, the places that Colorado uh, certainly would would like to uh, you know make more of an, an impact. So it's certainly a different type of player that you're hoping to bring to Colorado than you are to the Air Force Academy. So I'm not sure if it necessarily translates all that well, but it, it is sort of interesting that, you know, the service academies do recruit, uh, they, they cast a much wider net probably than we would expect somebody like Colorado to. And, and maybe that could be a benefit. Who knows? And, uh, you know, you, you listed on here as well, the uh, change to the transfer rule. The NCAA is going to vote on a one-time trans, a one-time free transfer rule in April, as well as a change to 25 player classes per year, it would allow uh, 50 signees over a two-year period, but no more than 30 in one particular year. So, can you kind of break that down for us? Well, so the the uh, NCAA, you know, considering the the transfer rule is something that we've talked about before yeah i think last week even we talked about that um it it makes sense to uh, allow a player to transfer without having to sit out uh and i think you know doing it once makes sense do it doing a one-time thing um nicole arbach at the uh, the athletic put together a, a um uh, answering four questions basically related to this uh, rule proposal. Uh, one thing that that she noted is uh, it does mention that it would have to uh, the player would have to receive receive a release from their previous school, and that's something that uh, today in the the transfer portal that players don't have to do. So it would uh, create a, a, an extra step, and that's something that's certainly going to uh, be a target of you know criticism. And I would say understandably so i you know it 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 seems like that would make it more difficult if we have to go back to a player has to uh you know go down sit down with a coach and say hey i want to transfer will you please uh grant me this release for immediate eligibility and and so i i would hope that that if if this is something that uh is going to be adopted relatively soon hopefully that's something that they will address but uh she does a good job of, of breaking down what some of this 
you know, legalese type language that, that is in the actual rule proposal, what it uh, is actually talking about in, in terms that, you know, I could understand better. So uh, I would suggest <laughs> anybody to, to, uh, that has an interest in learning more, that's a, a good source. But uh, on the surface, you know, not, not really diving in too much into all the details and all the changes. It seems like it makes sense. It seems like, uh, you know, common sense, basically. This is the direction things need to move, in my opinion, for transfers. And also, I think the increasing uh, the classes that, you know, uh, bringing in 50 players in a two-year period, that also makes sense because we've had some situations. First that comes to mind for me is uh, I know Kansas a couple of times, they've had situations where they just went so heavily into uh, recruiting Juco players, both in, in Charlie Weiss's last year or two and then in David Beatty's uh, last year that it really just screwed up the, the math of their uh, roster for years to come. And that's something that Les Miles now is, is having to deal with. Um, it makes sense in a situation like that, uh, for example, to be able to say, all right, you know, we, we have to dig out of this hole and having a, a limit of, you know, 25 players per class. And I know there is some flexibility already, but, um, you know, uh, moving to, to something like this would make sense for, uh, some coaches when they're inheriting a, just a, a really awful roster situation from a number standpoint would help uh, alleviate some of those issues that, that come with that. I mean, what a completely tedious thing to think about, uh, <laughs> but this is when you do it, right? You know, I, I mean, it, it's, it's important and it's important that the information is out there, but I just like, I start reading this and I instantly get a stress headache. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm like, this is not fun at all. This is all the behind-the-scenes stuff that we don't want to have any part with. I mean, Xavier, are you with me on that, or do you find this stuff more interesting than I do? I mean, only because I have, you know, like little brothers of friends in this situation. That makes it cool as far as that situation goes, as far as being able to have, you know, more people that you can sign, so more opportunities to go to the school you actually want to go to without having to worry about too many constraints. Outside of that... I couldn't really care less, uh, you know, about this situation. I think that this one-time free transfer rule, um, we'll see how long that lasts. I think when you have what you'll see come from this is that this is the compromise that the NCAA is maybe okay with, depending on the vote. And I think in about 10 years, they're going to have to change it again. So, because uh, that's how the NCAA works. Uh, but, yeah. I may, maybe the XFL will be taking on uh, oh, freshmen God. at that point. Uh. So, I, we didn't talk about the XFL at all last week, which was... Uh, uh, Let's not. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I didn't watch it at all, really, week two. Um, it's uh, it's interesting, and you get to see a bunch of you know former college players. That makes it kind of fun to watch, but I mean... Nick, you're a hardcore football fanatic. Are you paying attention to the XFL at all? No, no, not 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 at this point. I, I see things, you know. Yeah, it's, it's certainly the. Uh, it, it seems that there's more of a connection to college, um, you know, beat writers and things like that at, at this point. So I will see, you know, if I follow a, an Oklahoma beat writer, I'm going to see some things about 
the Dallas team that, you know, where Mark Stoops is coaching and Landry Jones is the quarterback and mm. things like that. So I see, I see a little bit, but I have not watched a game at, at this point. I, I probably, uh, won't, <laughs> yeah. we'll see, uh, I don't but you know, I, I barely ever watched the NFL. So the XFL is probably not, uh, for me, either. I just thought maybe, you know, no football on it's on on the weekends. There's downtime. Maybe you would watch one, but uh, totally understandable. If not, not that. yet. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll catch the bug at some point, but, uh, not, not yet in, in, uh, 2019, the people that the are best... doing like the fantasy leagues and stuff. I'm, oh, uh, you know, I, I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, you know, let's the AAF closed down like week four. So yeah. let, let's let's give it a let's season get some legs first. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's let it ha- have a season at least. I mean, Vince McMahon says he's prepared to lose three hundred million bucks a year for three years, though. So uh, I mean, I think he's kind of invested here. So I'm not, you know, if it's three hundred for three maybe years. maybe our listeners really love the XFL, and and if so, reach out. You know, we could we could certainly uh change gears and do xfl winning edge you know i mean it's it's what i mean that's that's uh eight teams so yeah uh, (laughs) i mean uh i've I've been for the last you know 20 minutes before we started recording i was doing a deep dive adding players uh that i didn't currently have on my roster for utep so uh (laughs) you know it's it's getting down to uh, my my patience is wearing a little thin on the on the roster updates. Yeah, so, the, hey, the, new, the New maybe, York Guardians yes. could be a whole new thing for you, you know. Uh, and the Houston absolutely. Roughnecks and the Los Angeles uh, Wildcats and listen, all that listen stuff. to the names. Oh. the only thing the NFL needs to take away from the XFL is I would love to talk to Mitch Trubisky after throwing a pick. That's it. I, I want that interview. Well, I mean, that's probably what the NFL, like if the NFL steals anything from the XFL, it's going to be presentation stuff, just like they did the Skycam. The Skycam was originally an XFL idea, so, and they stole it. That's the only thing that they got out of the XFL, though, uh, because just the play is in general so bad. But uh, the fun stuff for college football before we get into the Big 12 here is that uh, spring practice has started at nine schools so far. Coastal Carolina, Troy, Air Force, Yukon, Houston, Boston College, Charlotte, Central Michigan, and Western Michigan. And it's going to start up next week at some big programs here. Clemson, Louisville, Wake Forest, Northwestern, TCU, Rice, Akron, Buffalo, Stanford, Arizona State, South Carolina, and Vanderbilt. And the first spring game in the country is March 5th for Coastal Carolina. Others in March uh, that Nick has listed here are Air Force, Charlotte, Louisville, TCU, BYU, Western Michigan, San Jose State, Arizona State, Arkansas. So um, lots of fun upcoming. And um, I mean, we're going to Arkansas State, excuse me, not Arkansas. And uh, we're going to get a little look at these teams. Which one are you most excited for, Nick? Well, the one that that's, uh, that jumps out to me just from the list, based on our conversation a few minutes ago, Air Force is currently in spring practice, <laughs> and uh, to have your head coach, uh, you know, be be uh, at the you know one of the most uh, uh, talked about head coaches in the country at this moment, potentially you know could leave tomorrow. Uh, that's an interesting situation to be in. So that, that jumps out to me Another just, you know, I currently live in New Hampshire, uh, could get to Boston college's 
campus in about an hour and it snowed for about eight hours yesterday uh, in my neck of the woods. So I, I assume that they have some sort of uh, indoor practice facility. I, I certainly would hope so. Some of, you know, some of these places, uh, you know, central Michigan, western Michigan, it's not exactly warm quite yet in, in uh, places like that or, or in Connecticut. And, and so uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that they're able to get some things done and, and you know, not have to uh, practice two hours in the snow for spring football. I think that would be pretty miserable. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I just still don't understand how you guys handle that that cold. I just, <laughs> yeah, I don't get it. Uh, I go out. I go outside twice a week. So uh, okay. Well, now it makes more <laughs> sense. So, Xavier, uh, I wouldn't be outside at all. No, <laughs> no. Xavier, no. uh, I mean, I have like vitamin D deficiency living in Arizona because I refuse to open up my windows or go outside. I'm like a, a vampire. Um, but, uh, what, what are you, uh, what are you most excited, uh, about with these schools opening up their spring practices and having spring games coming up in, you know, we're talking two and a half weeks here. Yeah. That means we don't have to watch XFL anymore. I mean, that's what I'm most excited about. <laughs> uh, Bay, um, I got I'm, spring training coming up, so I'll be all over that. See, so. exactly. And you can talk about the Astros for the next year. Uh, but I think. Troy, obviously, in Coastal Carolina, for me, our schools, are, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, reading clippings from, obviously, being a Sunbelt kid. Um, Troy, obviously, was a really uh, has been a powerhouse in the Sunbelt for quite some time now. Um, so we're always having to keep an eye on them. And Coastal Carolina gave us a run for our money last year when we went up to Coastal Carolina. So those two teams I would try to keep an eye on. Uh, Boston College is one. For me, uh, how they now – plan to look without uh, A.J. Dillon. Same thing with Houston losing Derrick King. Um, so those two schools obviously are two big schools that are losing pretty much like 70% of their production from one player. Uh, so to see them um, in their first year without them would be fun to watch. Um, I really, I just enjoy spring football. I really do. It's a, it's an opportunity for us to get to know the new, cri- uh, the new crop of players as well as see who's going to probably be the starting quarterback. Normally, if you win spring, you're pretty much set in stone. Um, obviously, we're going to have some fall competitions, uh, but normally spring practice is where the the best, uh, the cream rises to the crop, uh, cream rises to the top. So yeah, yeah, I'm uh, I'm excited for a bunch of these teams. I want to see uh, what Stanford's going to look like here. Uh, you know, with uh, all of their stuff. Obviously, I'm looking for Jaden Daniels to take the next step. Arizona yes. State. So uh, there's a lot to look forward to here. And it's early. It's early. I'm going to be going to a bunch of spring training games in the middle of all this stuff. You got March Madness in the middle of it, too. So this Ooh. is just a pointed uh, time of year right now. NFL draft coming up. I just uh, finally did my first mock draft and posted it on uh, our ITL Patreon the other day. Finally got around to that. So there's just uh, almost too much going on right now <laughs> but uh you guys ready to take a look at the big 12 let's do it all right yeah so, oh <laughs> come on damn xavier no just nothing from you what is your problem i love the big 12 sometimes mm-hmm. you know when kansas state is in one of your top five teams you know you, you sound like a whatever you sound like eeyore you know, God, give me a break. I mean, come on. Uh, okay, let's look back at last year. Obviously, uh, winning the Big 12 title was Oklahoma, 8-1 uh, in the conference, 12-2 and overall. They lost the playoff. Uh, Matt Rule leaves Baylor. They were second. They played Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship. 
eight and one in the conference for them, eleven and three overall. And then my Longhorns, uh, eight and five overall, five and four in the conference. Oklahoma State, five and four in the conference. They were also eight and five. Kansas State, guess what? Eight and five, five and four in the conference. Then we move down to the last uh, couple teams here. Iowa State, also five and four, but they were seven and six. West Virginia, three and six, five and seven overall. TCU, three and six, five and seven overall. Texas Tech, two and seven, four and eight overall. And then, of course, lowly Kansas, one and eight in the conference, uh, three and nine overall. Their one win coming uh, against Texas Tech. So, Nick, what was your biggest surprise uh, in the Big 12 from 2019? So, uh, I always take this question and, and think about, you know, where our, our preseason projections were compared to how things actually shook out. And the big 12 was, was a, uh, sort of odd because we basically projected half the conference to finish seven, five and, and, uh, basically, you know, win either five and five or four, conference game. So there was a, a big middle in the, the Big 12, and uh, we expected, of course, Oklahoma to win it. Texas, we projected to be favored in 11 games, but uh, that included several coin flips, three or four games that were projected to be you know, roughly a field goal or less. So we actually only projected them to, to win about eight games overall. So I felt pretty good about that because Texas, of course, ended up winning uh, eight games once all was said and done. So even though we, we had them uh, clearly in the top tier, you know, solid number two, uh, weren't too disappointed with, with their projection, how they ended up. Uh, I was very nervous that we had Kansas state actually as our third, um, based on their projected final record. Uh, we actually had Kansas state winning five conference games that made me very nervous because pretty much, you know, no one was, uh, expecting anything out of Kansas state. I mean, there were, you know, preseason magazines and, and other analytics uh, firms and, and things like that that, you know, uh, projected that they might contend for a bowl game. But unless I just missed something, I didn't see anyone really expect Kansas State to have a winning record either, either overall or uh, in conference play. So that made me very nervous, but I was also quite uh, pleased when it, it turned out that basically we had Kansas State uh, pegged perfectly just about uh we we did not expect um well we had them with the same five and four conference record but uh expected them to to win one more um during the regular season so so that was a pleasant surprise because uh, a big part of kansas state's preseason projection was a really high head coach rating for chris Kleiman coming into his first year that, of course, made me very nervous because it was his first time as an FBS head coach, but he had had so much success at North Dakota State. Um, you know, I, I, it made me very nervous, but, but then also very pleased. Baylor, of course, uh, was a pleasant surprise the way things played out on the field. We had Baylor very much in that mix, just right there in the middle. They were a top 40 team, actually one spot ahead of Kansas State in our preseason projections. But for them to, to go on and uh, the only two teams they lost to were Oklahoma and Georgia. That's that's uh, an excellent, excellent season. So uh, they were a pleasant surprise from what we saw as far as uh, their preseason projection. But I was also very pleased that uh, we had a, a good read on Kansas State, I think better than most others uh, who were projecting 
you know, the season for the Wildcats. Um, Xavier, what was your biggest surprise in the Big 12 from 2019? Oh, it has to be Baylor for me as well. Um, coming into the year, obviously, when we talked about Baylor in the preseason, um, they were not a team that I thought was going to be second um, in the Big 12 and probably should have won the Big 12 outright, at least in the regular season. Um, and man, the way that they played in the championship game probably should have won there too if they had their starting quarterback. Um, I really th- thought Matt Rule and they over uh, overachieved. Um, and they, I mean, they were on my fraudulent list to start the year off. Um, but to you know finish eleven and three where we had them going seven and five and having a losing record in the conference, um, you know that's amazing from them. Another team that I have that that was a pleasant surprise last year for me was uh, Iowa State. Obviously, for some reason, once again, they're able to get it done. Um, you know, they and they almost, you know, had some big upsets throughout the year. I feel like Iowa State has like one or two games against top 15 teams where they have an opportunity to win it down the stretch. Um, they were able to get it done against Oklahoma this year. But, man, watching Iowa State every year just seems to be more and more fun the, uh, the longer and longer I'm a college football fan. So, Yeah, I mean, even yeah. early in the year, they almost beat Iowa. So Right. Uh, yeah, Iowa State was much better than their record would end. Exactly. I mean, yeah. they, they uh, looking sort of, you know, deeper into the, the box score and some oh. of the expected win, uh, expect, you know, uh, projected win expectancy numbers, things like that. They were uh, they were a dangerous team. They, they actually climbed. Uh, we had them projected to win seven games. They ended up winning seven games. Yet our preseason projection, they were ranked 32nd, their final uh, ranking in our team strength ratings was 20th, which that's a, a pretty big jump to to not, you know, overachieve your uh, expectations. So uh, Iowa State, I, I agree, they were they were fairly impressive, and and people didn't see it because they lost some of those uh, really close games, but they played really quite well. All their you, games you... that they lost were so close, Nick. The, yep. the biggest loss was by 10 at Kansas State in the very last game of the year, and they got clobbered by Notre Dame in the bowl game. But other than that, one point to Iowa, two points to Baylor on the road. Uh, They were winning that like 21 to nothing, I think. Yeah, and Baylor came back and won. They lost to Oklahoma State by a touchdown, 34 to 27. They lost to Oklahoma by a point. And uh, then that that loss, that 10-point loss against Kansas State. So, uh, Xavier, absolutely right. Iowa State, fun team to watch. That's why Matt Campbell's been getting NFL calls, too. Yes, sir. So, uh, wouldn't be surprised to see him take off to either a bigger program or an an NFL squad in the next next couple years here. I guess we have to talk about this. Uh, Who was the (laughs) biggest disappointment? Texas. We can move right past that, right? We don't need any more (laughs) details, right, Nick? Well, so it's interesting. I I touched on it a little bit that we did have them favored in 11 games, but only, you know, based on the simulations and the win expectancies, things like that. uh, They only won about eight games on average. And and that is sort of how they ended up finishing up. I wasn't hugely disappointed in Texas because my personal expectation coming into the year, you know, regardless of what the numbers said projected in 11 games – I didn't expect them to win 11 games by any stretch. And, and I think we talked about it in the preseason. If not, we certainly should have that. They brought back so little of their uh, defensive contributors from the 2018 uh, team into 2019. People really did overlook the 
uh, amount of inexperience on the defense. And then once the season started, uh, a lot of the players they were counting on, especially in the secondary, uh, were just banged up, couldn't stay in the lineup. There were multiple concussions that that affected players for multiple games. Uh, just, you know, it seemed like every week there was something else going on. And, you know, running back, of course, was a, a, a position that got hit hard by injury. They had a couple of uh, true freshmen, guys that, you know, uh, on paper you would expect these are – players capable of coming in and contributing right away that, uh, you know, didn't play at all. Uh, or, uh, multiple players that have since retired because of, um, you know, injury and, and things like that. So they, they in a lot of ways, were, uh, I think, a victim of uh, expectations that, that were not deserved on one hand and, and on the other, uh, had some I, really I think bad screaming injury. we're back at the sugar bowl the year before that might not have been the smartest yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably was what did them in yeah, yeah. So. but uh, but overall i mean they you know they 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 finished very strong they finished yep. strong enough uh to to pick up plenty of you know hype again between now and next year and, and as we'll talk about uh, we will be uh if not at the forefront we will we are certainly on board uh, for the Texas hype train in, in 2020 because they bring so much back uh, from a production standpoint that uh, they are going to be basically, you know, I, I can say for sure they're going to be projected about the same to beat everybody but uh, Oklahoma. Uh, you know, we'll go ahead and get that out of the way. How about that? <laughs> well, Nick's on the hype train. Oh, so Okay. All right. I mean, well, I mean after, Texas after was clearly the biggest disappointment, right, Xavier? I mean, it's not close. I, yeah, but only because of the hype. I mean, yeah. when you look at a, a disappointing team for me, and a lot of people are going to be like, what is – I mean, Oklahoma to me is slightly disappointing. And it's only because in the time that they you know, made it to the college football playoff, they don't show up outside of their game against Georgia. Um and I know that they've won the Big 12 five years in a row. Hoorah. But, I mean, they have yet to put together a team that, while playing throughout the year, impresses really anybody on both sides of the football. Um, and it's almost like we've been talking about this long enough that you would expect Oklahoma to figure out that defense matters, yet they still haven't done it. And we're in 2020. They started winning the Big 12 in 2015. Um so to an extent, a little bit Oklahoma, but obviously Texas. Um, but a lot of good things towards the end of the year. Like Nick was saying, the defense came around. Um, but the reason why I thought Texas was, was so disappointing was gen generally because of their offense, um, especially down the stretch. I just felt like their offense didn't do enough for me. It wasn't explosive enough. I mean, this was an offense that, you know, I know it was early on in the year, but was outside of Alabama, came the closest to beating LSU. Um, so you know, you expected the offense to at least be there, you know, with Sam Manlinger coming back and Colin Johnson on the outside. And you had all of these players that were coming back after the, last year's offense, which was so explosive. And they just didn't cut it down the yeah, stretch. It was really so. just Sam and Devin Duvernay was pretty much the entirety of the offense. Sam ran a lot, too. But Keontae Ingram wasn't any good until the end of the year. Uh, Rashawn Johnson was the best running back who converted from quarterback for a big chunk of the year. And the other wide receivers didn't really step up as much as they possibly could. 
when so, Johnson was hurt a lot. Yeah, yeah. And Colin Johnson missed most of the games last year. I think he wound up playing like four or five. So mm-hmm. it, it's it wasn't a bunch. And uh, obviously, that's not even mentioning all of the defensive injuries. I'm not going to sit here and make excuses for the Longhorns, though. They had a bad year. No. They didn't perform. So yeah, uh, no, that's a good point. And and, and, and uh, sorry to cut you off yeah, there. You're good. Uh, uh, Xavier, I think you made uh, some interesting points, and, and Oklahoma was in some ways uh, disappointing. I mean, they they basically ended up very close to our projection. We had them expected to go undefeated through the, the regular season. Uh, they, of course, lost to Kansas State, but we did expect them to, to make it to the playoff, and they did. But uh, they were, in a lot of ways, a, a, a real letdown because – Early in the season, they were so explosive on offense that our numbers just fell in love with uh, what they were doing offensively. And then when they when they lost to Kansas State, uh, it, it seemed at that point, even though uh, you know I think we we could certainly say the offense wasn't to blame in that loss, but um, from that point on, it seemed that they just sort of a uh, team started to figure them out and it was much different uh much more more difficult much they they were not as you know they couldn't name their score anymore they they couldn't score at will uh like they had in the first half of the season and that uh really was disappointing because you know at at that point they had built up so much goodwill offensively as far as you know the numbers that are most into account that we really started to overhype them. Um, they had, they were, I think for most of the year, our third, uh, ranked team. And I think we could all agree that they really probably were never deserving of that, especially, um, you know, late in the year. And even after they lost our numbers still, you know, I I don't think they fell any farther than, uh, sixth. And, And that was only after getting blown out by LSU, but, you know, they, they certainly uh, underperformed expectations based on sort of where they came in from a, a talent standpoint, but then also the actual performance on the field on the offensive side of the ball in the first half of the year really inflated our uh, power rating. And that's unfortunate because there were there were several times late in the year where we were counting on Oklahoma, you know, to, to blow somebody out and, and, you know, it didn't happen. So uh, we we. Definitely, uh, even though they didn't necessarily end up losing the game, we picked up a lot of L's because they weren't covering anymore in mm-hmm. that second half of the season. So, uh, you know, and all the way up to the LSU game, we had them uh, projected to keep it much closer than it ended up being. And, and, you know, on the field, it certainly looked like they just didn't even belong, despite in the first half of the year, that offense was just as impressive as LSU's from a, a number standpoint. But right. uh, by the end of the year, it just it wasn't the case anymore. Now, are there any final thoughts on the 2019 Big 12 as a conference here, Nick? I think TCU is worth a mention. Um, they they uh, still ended the season with a, a pretty strong power rating from us. They, they were the highest rated team in our numbers that didn't make a bowl game. They lost a lot of close games. Um, uh, they have been really disappointing from an offensive standpoint the last few years. 
uh, and, and they certainly suffered from some injuries when, you know, I was, I was sort of building the chart that we'll uh, be working off of a lot, you know, when we're talking about 2020 and TCU doesn't return very much from a, uh, you know, starters standpoint, because a lot of the guys that, um, I mean, there, there are different reasons, but, but they, you know, the, the guy that ended up becoming the quarterback, true freshman Max Duggan, uh, did not start the season as the quarterback. So they, they had some injuries. They had some, uh, some guys that they were projected to count on that they ended up not being able to count on. Alex Delton, the Kansas State transfer, looked like he was going to be the quarterback, but then he wasn't even on the roster after like week four or something like that. So uh, they had a lot of issues coming up. They, they ha- had a lot of injuries in the secondary. They lost their best offensive lineman halfway through the year, uh, and they suffered some bad luck. So I think TCU is a team that I would have expected – uh, perhaps a bigger bounce back looking ahead to next year, but then they also lost a couple of guys early to the NFL draft that that uh, were big blows and and just um, they're they're going to be an interesting team because uh, they're still project you know they're a top forty team according to our numbers, but when I'm looking you know position by position what they lost there's really no major strength and then there are a lot of sort of red flags on some of the things that they're losing so. Um, what what looked like you know a potential bounce back candidate now i'm a little worried uh that that maybe you know 2020 is going to look a lot like 2019 potentially and and that's a bit of a disappointment because they were disappointing last year we expected them to be um basically a top 25 team they were 26th in our preseason projection so yeah that offense just has had a tough time getting rolling xavier any final thoughts on the 2019 big 12 yeah, I mean, big kudos to Oklahoma State. Um, any team that loses that much offensive production, um, for, at least on the outside, and literally has to lean on a running back as hard as they did all year, uh, really leaning on the back of Chuba Hubbard to get them to the promised land and um, finishing 8-5 and five with an opportunity to finish the year ranked if they were to beat Texas A&M in the bowl game. I mean, you know, they're an exciting team coming back. You know, everybody's coming back. Chuba's. Uh, decided to, Taylor Wallace has decided to, the starting uh, quarterback should be back as well. You've got to look at least offensively and say, you know what, Oklahoma State, as long as that offense clicks and as long as those guys look healthy coming into next year, you know, they give them a chance. Um, And in the Big 12, you know, offense, you know, obviously runs the Big 12. And if you have a great offense, two or three players can get you 10 wins. Um, And so I think that uh, you have to look at them, you know, last year getting eight wins without, you know, some of their best players as being uh, very commendable. Yeah, you know, uh, looking uh, ahead at the 2020 season and looking at the preseason rankings here, Nick, and uh, what each team lost, it's weird. Um, Oklahoma we have as the number one team in the Big 12, not a surprise. Uh, Oklahoma is going to be number one until somebody knocks them off. That's just mm-hmm. uh, kind of the, the, the thing that's going to happen here with Oklahoma. Uh, we got them one, and they are overall seven They've got eight returners on offense and eight returners on defense, but the big question for their team, I would say, Nick, is uh, replacing Jalen Hurts, and right now it looks like they're going to stick with Spencer Rattler, right? That's what it, it seems like, and and uh, there's, you know, the, the talking uh, point, Lincoln Riley's going to say that Tanner Mordecai is, is competing. I mean, he didn't name Jalen Hurts the starter until – uh, very late in the process uh, last year. And and so I, I think that 
everybody pretty much understands it's going to be Spencer Rattler, but uh, we're probably not going to know 100% for sure until maybe, you know, the first snap of, of the season. But uh, really at this point, that's the only question mark just from a, a roster standpoint. I know there are obviously always concerns on defense, uh, particularly the secondary. Um, but when you're looking, you know, where, where are they least experienced quarterback is uh, the first thing that comes to mind. But then on the other hand, uh, they've been so good the last three years at, at quarterback play with three different quarterbacks that you almost think, all right, that's not really, is it really a question? Maybe not. And, and Rattler being a five-star uh, recruit in, in the 2019 class, uh, probably you think that it's going to be a pretty smooth transition. Uh, one thing that concerns me a little bit, they do have to replace CeeDee Lamb, who I think was the best receiver in the country last year. I know, uh, you know, Jamar Chase did, of course, some incredible things, put up huge, huge numbers. But uh, CeeDee Lamb was somebody that made me say, wow, multiple times a game, and, and they're going to miss him. And they brought in a couple of uh, grad transfers they were hoping to uh, sort of bolster that group. Uh, Obi Obialo from Marshall, uh, and then also um, uh, from UCLA, they brought in Theo Howard. Unfortunately, he suffered a torn Achilles, I believe it was, in an offseason workout. So uh, he says he's going to be back for the season. Achilles injuries are, are a bit tricky, so I, I don't know that I necessarily would count on him at, at this point to be a, a major contributor right away. Obialo, I, I believe, is not going to be on campus until the summer. So uh, with those two guys, you know, you're hoping would be able to come in and, and sort of hit the ground running uh, quickly and, and build up some rapport with Rattler. And, and uh, they're, they're not necessarily going to be able to do that. So uh, he's got guys that, that of course he's thrown to uh, in practice. They've got last year, they brought in arguably the best group of receiver recruits in the country. So they've got talent. They'll be fine. I think the offensive line is going to be one of the best in the country. Uh, but we need to see more from the secondary. They're going to be experienced back there, but they haven't been very good, you know, especially uh, the latter part of, of last season. They missed a lot of guys, missed time with injury. I mean, I'm looking at our 2020 uh, team profile and, and there's, you know, orange lines all over the place at, at every level. And then Ronnie Perkins, who was their best pass rusher, one of the best pass rushers in the Big 12, uh, was suspended for the bowl game. And last I heard, unless there's going to be a, a uh, some, some sort of appeal, uh, he's going to miss the first five games of 2020. So that's a big blow defensively you know, to a side of the football where you really can't afford uh, to be without your best player. And looks like he's going to be uh, sitting on the bench for for the first half of next year, probably. Yeah, I mean, it looks like there um, a, a lot is going to depend on the success of Oklahoma, whether a lot of these guys can get healthy and not, especially mm -hmm. on the defensive side. So it's going to be an interesting year, Xavier. How, how much are you, um, I guess, what is your confidence level in Spencer Rattler? put it at a six and a half seven right now um and that's really also because of how young his receiving core is going to be this year and they're not necessarily young by academic standards and i mean by the year that they are but in the amount that they were asked to do 
Um, that was CD Lamb's receiving core. Let's not get it twisted whatsoever. He did the bulk, if not all the work for that receiving core. And when a guy that talented leaves, what more so happens than anything is that now the number one corner is now on, you know, metaphorically the number two guy. And so, you know, CD Lamb drew double teams. CD Lamb took, you know, the safety with him. Uh, now receivers are going to have to win one on one. Looking at guys like Jaden Hazelwood and, and company, they're going to have to now get open. And we saw last year, even with a senior leading quarterback like Jake Fromm, how much he struggled with receivers who couldn't get open because of the lack of reps that they had together. Um, and, you know, Jake Fromm was a three year starter. We're talking about a kid who's coming in in his first season um, as being the starter for Oklahoma. So all of that going into it um, with a team that has really uh, never had a running game. Their best running game last year was Jalen Hurts. Um, that just all equals uh, some some headache and, and definitely a lot of learning lessons for him uh, coming into this year. So like Nick said, the defense is going to have to step up big time. Um, I think they're going to have to keep them in games early on um, until uh, Spencer Rattler can catch his feet um, and really solidify himself as a starting quarterback. Because um, if they don't, they're going to take some losses early on in this year that uh, could set them back a lot uh, or, you know, some close games. But um, I fully expect Oklahoma to still win the Big 12 at this point, at this juncture, until I see, uh, you know, something else <laughs> from, you know, I mean, I, you just have to. It's yeah, No, you're I, I, right. I, I would love I, to say somebody else. I just said Trust it, too. Me. I'm like, hey, look, they're going to be first until somebody comes and knocks them yeah. off. And uh, it has not happened. So I'm. I'm with you. I, th- I think you almost have to pick Oklahoma at this mm-hmm. point. I, I mean, I guess if you want to go out on a limb and take Texas or Oklahoma State, uh, it's understandable this year because, you know, just looking ahead here, Nick, uh, you know, Texas uh, second in the conference, 14 overall. Oklahoma State three uh, in the conference, 19 overall. Iowa State four in the conference, 20 overall. And uh, fifth in the conference is Baylor, 23 overall. Obviously, a lot of changes coming at these schools. But the one thing that uh, Texas, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, and Baylor all have in common is they are returning their starting quarterback. And outside of mm-hmm. Baylor, uh, all these teams, well, I guess, yeah, yeah, no. But outside of Baylor, they at least have seven returners on defense as well. So a lot of the same crew coming back. For a lot of these teams here and even though Xavier is a snob and doesn't like the Big 12 that is a bunch of teams in the top 25 according to CFP winning edge so uh, what is it between Texas down here to uh, the teams that would be quote-unquote ranked to Baylor that has them uh, pretty good is it mainly returning uh, crew here yeah and and that's that's definitely part of it because Texas Oklahoma State and Iowa State are all uh, returning, uh, you know, very important pieces. All of them have uh, quarterbacks coming back that that are fairly highly regarded. And and uh, Oklahoma State has, from a returning starter standpoint, the most experienced defense in, in the conference. That's certainly uh, something that that I think is going to matter. One thing that jumped out to me, and and you hit on it, you know, there there are five teams in our top twenty-five, and and if you know, people uh, who may be joining us for the first time, these are ratings based on who would we favor on a neutral field. So it's not that we expect, you know, five teams to finish with a record that would get them in the final AP top 25. It's 
from a pure team strength standpoint, uh, these are five teams that we think are uh, top 20, you know, the, the top 25, quote unquote, best teams. So um, that to me is impressive because last year at this time or, or even in our you know, preseason, we had two teams that were top 25 teams. So that tells me that the the distance between Oklahoma and the rest of the league is shrinking a little bit, partly because we had Oklahoma third in the in the country in the preseason. Uh, and uh, now they're down to uh, number seven. So they're they're you know, they're they're not as strong at this point as we expected Oklahoma to be last year. But then to have Oklahoma State now in our top 20, to have Iowa State in our top 20, Baylor, who is, you know, has a lot of uh, red flags because they lose so much on defense. But the the strength of how well they played last year gives me uh, a, a little bit of confidence that they will be, you know, they this Baylor team probably isn't going to win 11 games, but I have a, a stronger opinion of Baylor at this point looking ahead to 2020 than I did this time last year, looking at 2019, if that makes sense. So uh, I think that the the road for Oklahoma to win another Big 12 title or to get it back into the playoff is going to be much more difficult this year than it was in 2019. I think they are going to have, and they, they played several close games as well. You know, they didn't necessarily coast to uh, the championship like we thought maybe they were you know, after four or five games, but um, any of these teams, I think, could beat Oklahoma. I think I think Texas certainly could. I think Oklahoma State uh, certainly has enough firepower coming back that they could beat Oklahoma. Iowa State is, you know, a team. We talked about how they were better than their record last year, and they bring back Brock Purdy, who is coming into his uh, third year as a starter at quarterback. They were able to get some uh, important pieces back on defense as well. Iowa State's going to be a dangerous team. So uh, I think Oklahoma certainly could uh, lose a couple of games. And even though they're starting at, at, you know, they look like the strongest team on paper at this point, uh, I think they have a lot more questions than Oklahoma teams of the last few years. Uh, so, Xavier, the same. Same deal. Texas, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, and Baylor. Nick likes to usually talk about his nervousness level on <laughs> uh, putting teams, you know, ranked fairly high. And these teams are all in the top mm-hmm. twenty-five here. Who would you be the most nervous about uh, out between Texas, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, and Baylor being ranked in the top twenty-five? Okay, yeah, I think Baylor is going to struggle next year due to the fact that they don't have the same defensive starters that they had last year. Um, when you look at the defensive production that they lost, you, they're only bringing back two de- guys on defense. And that's really going to hurt them, as well as the fact that losing Matt Rule is going to be a huge deal. When you lose your head coach, that has to count for something. Um, and that's just, you know, the stronghold of that team and the amount of turnover that they're going to have, especially on the defensive side. They are the team I have to worry about the most. Um, I'm honestly shocked that they're even in the top 25 coming into the next year, according to the numbers. Uh, but maybe the numbers see something that I don't. Yeah, I know exactly what it is, and it's the fact that uh, it's the remnants of the Matt Rule program. <laughs> the Matt Rule ghost? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, in in the Big 12 there. Uh, the next couple teams here, all the way down to Kansas, we've got uh, TCU coming in six in the conference, 36 overall, and uh, Kansas State, seven overall, uh, or seven in the conference, 51 overall, Texas Tech, eight and 60, 
Virginia Tech or Virginia Tech, West Virginia, <laughs> nine and sixty-six. And then, uh, of course, Kansas last and 101 overall. Not a shock there. Uh, a couple of these teams, uh, TCU, Kansas State, and West Virginia returning quarterbacks, Texas Tech and Kansas going with newish starters. I mean, Alan Bowman's been there for Texas Tech. I don't know if he's going to stick. And then uh, who is it going to be, Mc, McVitie or whatever? It's probably going to be an open battle at Kansas uh, in the spring here. But um, these teams here between... TCU down to lowly Kansas, Nick. What what is your thought on uh, these teams? Because TCU, we have right outside of you know possibly winning some big games. Yeah, I, I am on the fence at this point about TCU. I think that uh, I, I do like Max Duncan. I've seen some good things from him. I, I like uh, the ability he's shown to run the football. He, he can. Uh, make things happen when uh, a play breaks down around him. But uh, they lost their most uh, impressive, uh, you know, most talented offensive player, Jalen Rager. Uh, they just unfortunately did not utilize well enough last year uh, early to the NFL. They also lost their two-headed running back uh, duo that that's going to hurt. You know, you have to have to, uh, usually we can replace running backs pretty well. Teams are, are good at replacing running backs uh, without major issues most of the time. But to have two guys that were able to, to play a, such a big role, uh, you know, the, the inexperience behind them, it's just a little bit of a question until we see it. Need to see some playmakers uh, come together on the outside as well. They also only bring back one full-time starter on the offensive line. They have some experience there. They've got actually four guys coming back, including uh, they've, they've added actually a, a transfer from Colorado State. But you know, with him in the mix, they've got four guys that have basically started the equivalent of a full season, had at least 11 starts in their uh, career. But uh, this unit just has not you know, worked together as a unit, and that's always a question. Offensive lines is very tricky to project. You know, experience matters, but we've seen that it doesn't necessarily matter uh, the most. But uh, there, there are just so many questions. You know, want to see the offense take a step forward? Haven't really seen any evidence to indicate that uh, the philosophy change offensively. Or, you know, things that they've tweaked. They brought in Jerry Kill, who was the former. Uh, Minnesota head coach, uh, other places as well. He's going to be involved in the offensive uh, game planning. Not, I'm not sure that he's actually, you know, technically the coordinator, but he's, he's, you know, his uh, voice is is supposedly going to carry some weight um, there in the offensive game planning. And, and I'm not sure that that's, you know, the forward-thinking move that a lot of uh, TCU fans were were hoping for. Perhaps they were hoping to get back. You know, when we saw TCU challenging for a spot in the college football playoff that first year or two, um, they did it in a lot of ways because they had a very explosive offense, and we just haven't seen that recently. So coming from a standpoint where uh, they've got one really solid piece to build around in Max Duggan, and, you know, they, they've got some experience uh, at, the, at the receiver position and things like that, but we just haven't seen them the last couple of years been able to, to really uh, uh, challenge you offensively or, or scare you offensively, if that makes sense. So they've got some some good guys coming back on defense. They've got starters at every level, a couple of all-conference uh, 
uh, caliber players, Garrett, uh, Garrett Wallow at linebacker, Trevin Mooring, uh, the free safety. But, uh, you know, they're not particularly uh, too experienced there either. I mean, only four full-time starters on, on that side of the football. So just a lot of unknowns. I think that they could be a better team. I think they probably should finish with a better record in 2020 than they did in 2019. But I, I'm just not sure exactly, you know, which unit is going to be able to, to step up and, and make that happen. But it seems like TCU, at least historically, has done a pretty good job of bouncing back from a disappointing season. You think that this might be uh, that year, but I think after TCU, there is sort of a clear line. The, the top six in the in the conference uh it it seems to be a much clearer pecking order in my opinion this year i think kansas state though they still do have you know chris Kleiman did some good things won some games he wasn't uh expected to win head coach rating is still among the best i think it's the second best in the in the conference um so they're inflated a little bit but they lost a ton and they have not recruited particularly well you know from what we think of a traditional uh stars uh, ratings and and things like that standpoint they've been able to overcome that in the past but you know not entirely sure they'll be able to do that um uh, they only bring back seven total starters on both sides of the football that's a little bit of an issue texas tech alan bowman you mentioned uh hopefully he'll be healthy and, and fully able to to get back in but i was not particularly impressed with texas tech last year defensively they you know still have some issues to to work out uh the end of the texas game or uh, kansas game was just a disaster how they you know basically uh what is it captured defeat from the hands of whatever the <laughs> well you know whatever the 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 supposed to be funny thing is to say that yeah, they should have should have won snap defeat out of the jaws of victory exactly. when it's supposed to be the reverse exactly. yeah kansas looks like they might be the worst g5 or uh, power five team uh, in the country, they were not particularly good last year, and then they lose. Uh, basically, they're they're starting over on defense, so they have a chance to potentially be even worse. I think there's a little room. Maybe West Virginia could could perhaps challenge. You know, maybe TCU or Baylor, that sort of mid mid tier team. Maybe they're the they have the most growth uh, potential. I, I think they do have some interesting pieces coming back. Uh, on defense, it seems like they finally found their quarterback last year, uh, Jarrett uh, Deegy, I think, or, or Deeg. I, I probably mispronounce it, but Daggy, um, okay, uh, him coming back and and you know started. I think the last three games, if not four, last year, they finally sort of I think figured out some things offensively. But uh, I, I did see some things that I liked from a schematic standpoint. For them defensively, I have some hope that they might be able to take a step forward. But um, yeah, I, th- I think TCU potentially a bowl team. Um, Kansas State might flirt with it. West Virginia might flirt with it. Uh, I think there's a much stronger top half of the Big 12 at this point. Not that much of a fat middle. Um, and in some ways, that's a good thing because you know maybe Texas is going to challenge for. Uh, conference championship you know maybe oklahoma state could make things interesting um where it really didn't seem like there were more than two teams that could really feasibly challenge uh at this point last year and and, you know looking ahead to, to 2020 i could see four teams that that could potentially be in the uh conference championship game so um 
it just seems that the, the bottom half has some work to do. Now, Xavier, I mean, uh, it, I, I don't think that anyone's going to challenge Kansas for that worst team at all. But uh, what do you think of the teams down here between TCU, Kansas State, Texas Tech, West Virginia, and Kansas at the very bottom? Uh, well, I think Kansas can win more than three games next year, so I'm going to just go out on a limb and just go ahead and say that now. Yeah, I was going to uh, say maybe I, re- only returning two starters isn't a bad thing. Yeah, I was. that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking when Nick was saying it. I was like, well... You know, there's something about old garbage. It stinks worse than new garbage. So, you know, <laughs> I think that Kansas having hitting the refresh button, it looks like on both sides of the ball uh, with the amount of starters that they're returning might be a positive. Uh, we might actually see them, you know, win four games, you know, and with Nick saying that the bottom half of the conference is much more like a basement this year. There's that means games should be closer for Kansas. Um, I'm hoping Good that's point. the case for less miles. Um, but. I think Kansas can win more than four games. As far as Kansas State, I think uh, people up there in Manhattan should not expect the same thing that happened last year. I think they really over uh, overachieved. Obviously, they beat Oklahoma at home last year. I don't think that they're going to have any kind of win like that this year coming up. Um, I see them, you know, they won seven games last year. I don't see them doing that this year at all. Um, I think they'll be more around the five-win mark. As far as Texas Tech and West Virginia, like Nick was saying, we're talking about the basement here. I think that it'll be a more defined basement, um, and I don't think we're going to have nearly as, as good of a middle. But like Nick said, that makes the top so much better, in my opinion. Uh, it makes it to where now teams like Oklahoma State and Texas have an opportunity to challenge Oklahoma at the top. Um, and with Oklahoma for the first time not having a, uh, a proven starter, uh, coming into the coming onto their team, I think that uh, it makes for a very fun Big Twelve this year. And my, uh, I won't, I probably won't loathe the Big Twelve as much as I have in in previous years either. Finally, so. finally, <laughs> uh, I, mean, I grew up. See, you know what? That's crazy because I actually grew up <laughs> like partially a Big Twelve fan. Uh, so you know, it's cool. Don't worry about it. I loved Tavon Austin growing up, even when they got out of the Big East. Uh, so I loved them in the Big Twelve. But then, you know, Landry Jones and the lot kind of just made that sour. Well, Landry so. Jones was terrible. So I, I, I completely understand that. I love that he's. And he's, he's only what the, the face top of the three XFL. in all time passing yardage or something. Yeah. Well, he's not good in the NFL. I can tell you that much. So he's a backup. He backed up for the Steelers forever, and I hated his guts. So, I mean, I'm glad he's in the XFL. Although, uh, you know what? To be honest, probably better than stupid Mason Rudolph or uh, or um, uh, the the other guy, Duck, Duck Hodges from Nah, Central. come on, baby. So, uh, Duck was just not good. Come on. Uh, he's fun, but he's not good. Uh, any final thoughts on the uh, Big 12 for 2020, Nick? Well, what are you looking forward to, I guess, in the offseason the most? Uh, well, I mean, I, I am very interested to see if this is one of those years that Oklahoma State, uh, you know, can can put it together and make a run. It seems like every, you know, three or four years that the right mix of, you know, roster talent and coaching and, and all that sort of thing uh, just sort of comes together and, and really gives Oklahoma State a, a chance to contend. And it looks like this could be one of those years, especially because, uh, you know, two guys that I didn't expect 
I certainly didn't expect they'd get both of them back, Tylen Wallace mm-hmm. and Chuba Hubbard. Um, but but for both of those guys to come back, and, and hopefully Wallace will be fully healthy and able to uh, recapture you know his his form uh, from the the uh, before the injury, and then hopefully Hubbard will get a little bit more uh, rest, so they're not necessarily running him into the ground every week. So if if that uh, if they can can keep both those guys healthy and if the experience they've got coming back on defense you know if, if that unit can take uh maybe a small step forward they're a team that i think legitimately could challenge and, and uh that's the, the first thing that comes to mind the second thing that is, is probably top of mind for most everybody else is uh i want to see uh, two underperforming units oklahoma defense and the texas defense take a step forward because those teams, from a talent standpoint, you know, on paper, their ratings and, and things like that, those two units have the potential to be at least top 20 units. Uh, really, they probably should be, you know, top 15, top 10 units if we're just looking from a pure, you know, talent projection standpoint. And both have certainly underachieved. And until those two units, or, or one of the two, uh, takes that next step forward, then it, it is, you know, that's the biggest thing that's standing in the way from a Big 12 team uh, legitimately challenging for uh, a national championship. And I think on paper, both of these teams have the talent to, you know, to, to beat anybody on any particular Saturday, but have not quite seen them uh, get, you know, all their uh, ducks in a row to, to really be able to, to uh, beat team after team and, and you know, really, you know, beat two top five teams in a row to win a national championship. We haven't seen uh, either capable of doing that. So um, I'm, I'm hopeful that one of the two or, you know, best case scenario, both uh, really start to play up to uh, the level of their potential. Uh, I think it would certainly, you know, I would love to see Oklahoma or Texas challenge for a national championship yeah, and that would be fun i mean it, it would be fun i don't know if it's gonna happen this year uh but it, it would be fun i mean texas uh you know this is this is gonna be the best shot for texas for a while because yeah. it's uh you know they're gonna have to replace sam after this season so and, and i don't this is spencer's first yeah and i don't so. think it's uh oklahoma's year either but uh you know both of the teams recruit well enough and coach well enough to where you wouldn't be surprised to see them find success even in a year where you're not expecting it. So uh, I'm right there with you. Uh, final thoughts on the Big 12s, Javier. I think it'll be fun this year. I think that we have a year where Oklahoma isn't the dominant favorite. They've been outright. They've been the favorite the last five years for obvious reasons. But you you see glaring issues on this Oklahoma team in some big pl- big spots. Um, we talked about it earlier. Obviously, they're not healthy on defense. Um, they have a brand new quarterback who's not a tr- um, outside of his high school credentials. Uh, we have a receiving core who is going to have to carry the load um, without, you know, the best receiver that they've had in Oklahoma in what since Ryan Broyles. Um, so I think that uh, you're going to Oklahoma isn't the outright favorite. And I think that's going to make for a better year. Um, when you look at each uh, each of the team's schedule, too, that could challenge. Um, Texas obviously has the most difficult one, having to play LSU this year. Uh, but we, you know, and we'll talk about it later, about an LSU team that's not the exact same. Um, so I think 
that uh, the Big 12 will be fun at the top, and I'm really hoping so. Um, I really hope that in November we're not talking about just one team in the Big 12. Um, I hope we're talking about two or three, maybe even four. Maybe Iowa State finally finishes out some of these games that they haven't been able to win um, like last season. So, um, yeah, and I think Oklahoma State, I was looking at the last time that they won the Big 12, which was 2011, and it was kind of about the same type of makeup offensively. They had one they had a one great receiver in Justin Blackman. They had a quarterback uh, in Brandon Whedon who – was old in more ways than one. Uh, they had, and then they had their uh, starting running back from that year ran for over 1,200 yards in Joseph Randall. Um, so they obviously have the of a similar team uh, that can obviously, in, in my opinion, Chuba's probably better than Randall. And I won't say go on a limb and say Taylor Wallace is better than Justin Blackman, but you know, if he comes back and plays up to his potential, he can definitely put up the same numbers. So, God, you made me sad thinking of uh, Justin Blackman. He was uh, so good. And then Phenomenal. Uh, it, it all went uh, south real quick in the NFL. I, I think the Jaguars yeah. drafted him. I don't even remember who drafted yep. him. That's, That's what right. happens when you go to yep. Jacksonville. But, but yep. yeah, I mean, I don't think it was Jacksonville for him. I think it was uh, personal <laughs> demons. But uh, seemed like a, a good dude and a great uh you know, a great college football player for sure. But that is going to put the wraps on the Big 12 uh, for us in this uh, too early series. What conference is coming up next week, Nick? Next week, we've got the Big 10. Yeah. Big 10. So Xavier Yay. will actually be happy <laughs> next week. So we got the Big 10 coming up. Uh, be interested to hear about uh, everyone's opinion on Michigan State coming up this year. But uh, <laughs> we'll save that for next week. Yeah. Gonna pick Michigan State to go to the playoff again, Xavier? Uh, <laughs> uh, as much as I love Mel Tucker, no, but uh, I'm not gonna pick a khaki pants wearing coach either. So. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, stick with us for next week, and we'll be talking about the Big Ten. But remember, you can follow us all on Twitter at Bogman Sports, at CFB Winning Edge, and at Xavier underscore Trish T R I C H E. And we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. CFB Winning Edge is a Patreon supported outlet. The more support we receive, the more value we're able to bring to our listeners, readers, and users. There are several projects on our wish list for the 2020 college football season, including written previews, a weekly newsletter, and expanded podcast schedule. However, we can't grow without your support. Join us at patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge for details.